calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Fleenor. The last TV show I watched was Supernatural, which I am currently hate binging. I started watching it while sick, and I don't think I like it, but I can't stop watching it. (laughs) The last TV show I... Oh, my name is Sarah Century. (laughs) (laughs) I am a host of this podcast as well, and the last show that I watched was Winona Earp, which is basically the much, much better Supernatural from what I can tell. Yes! And now I get to be way hot trash, just like the rest of you. I am all about that ship now. I hope you're all happy. (laughs) So this week, we have ourselves a listener question from Dropkick on Twitter. I'd like to see you discuss Venom now that you've watched Life. Interesting. So what was the episode where we watched Life? We talked about Life on episode 59 when we had Stephanie Williams on. It was one of her hat trick of films she picked out for us. Yes, so that was a great movie. We really enjoyed it. If you want to hear us talk about how we enjoyed it, totally check out that episode. And maybe just check it out anyway, because it was fun. Life is good. But we also talked about Venom, right? With Paige S. Allen, and that's from episode 23. We're going to sort of dance across the top of both of these properties. But I think if you go listen to those episodes, it really gets into like what informs the conversation today. Because yes. Paige changed my world. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, like how I think of Venom is like so different now. It's like one of the horniest comics I've ever seen now. I'm like, oh, right, it of course. Is. Rippling muscles and a big old creepy tongue. Sign me up. <laughs> yes. And they're kind of flirt fighting the whole time. So pretty hot. Anyway, we should have Paige back on to talk about something because that was a great interview. But what even is Venom? What even is that movie? And what even is Life? So Life is a 2017 film that is about, let me put it this way, humans fucking with shit they shouldn't fuck with. 
humans go and they they capture some like let's get this space alien and take it to our space station really close to our planet. This seems here's my marked. literal stick to poke it with. <laughs> you know what? It didn't move the first three times I poked it. I'm gonna do one more, and then you um, get your arm crushed. <laughs> Yeah, so then this alien, which has an adorable name because children of Earth got to name it, Calvin, destroys everyone on the spaceship. (laughs) Maybe the whole planet Earth, who knows? TBD. Venom is, you know, obviously a comic property. In the Spider-Man realm, Venom is part of that property too. So it was a Sony Marvel production because Sony has the rights for Spider-Man still. It is a film featuring Tom Hardy, who rides a motorcycle and wears leather. So the whole time I keep thinking his name is Ed Hardy because the (laughs) character's name is Eddie. What's Eddie's last name? Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock. That's right. Just think Ed Hardy and then you'll get Tom Hardy, Eddie Brock. And uh, the first Venom movie came out in 2018. And I guess there's supposed to be a sequel called Let There Be Carnage, which obviously is going to be about the symbiote carnage, at least in part. Which, if they keep the casting from the original, will be played by Woody Harrelson. Because there's like a little after credit scene in Venom where he says, there's going to be a lot of carnage. Carnage. (laughs) Dun, 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 dun. Woody Harrelson. Exactly. There are so many parallels in these films. I watched Venom and I was just like, what is going on? So thank you for asking Dropkick. We're like super pumped to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So they both start the same way. A ship goes out into space (laughs) and takes a specimen. (laughs) In Venom, they bring it back to Earth. In life, they bring it back to the space station. I hope that Elon Musk is listening to this goddamn podcast. You need to fucking knock it off, Elon. Trying to colonize Mars is a bad idea because Calvin might live there. That was it. (laughs) That was all I had. I feel like Calvin does live there is how I feel. I was like, shut up, Elon Musk. I hate you so much. I hate the stupid Space Force. I just am mad about it all. And maybe you should watch these movies. Seriously, I feel like the theme of both films is mm -mm, you should not fuck with space. (laughs) It's like, dear Elon Musk, please. Yes. Riz Ahmed is great in the role of the Elon Musk. I have no idea what his name is. He he's, you know, such an excellent performer. I really am looking forward to watching Sound of Metal, which I know he just destroyed in the best possible way. Venom's got some issues. The first time I watched it, I liked it less than the second time I watched it because it's like that. Yeah, well, you know, the first time through, you know, it's like the man of color is running the scary company and then the black man is the scary boss and the sellout and Eddie's just a hardworking white guy trying to help the man, you know? (laughs) It's like, right. But on the second viewing, it's so like, I do not know what Tom Hardy, what his process is, but I have to say sweaty, anxious and kind of fucked up. He's great at that. Like, yeah. so much of this movie is him just, like, sweating and looking a little sickly. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's so funny. I think that his performance in this movie is comparable to Bruce Campbell in the Evil Dead movies where mm. he's fighting with his own hand. I think that there's so many scenes where he's fighting the symbiote or, like, struggling against the symbiote or just being led by the symbiote that really just reminds me of that kind of physical acting, right? Where you're just, like, at odds with something that is, like, possessing you. He's like a puppet sometimes because he's being moved by it. Like, that's so funny. 
And it's so hard to pull off. Like, so, so few people are that great at physical acting. So I just think that that certainly deserves some props. I completely agree. I think agree. that these movies were to the same point because <laughs> I liked the alien kind of more than I liked all of the Yes! I, I love like, Jenny I Slate. Jenny Slate was very cute in Venom. We talked about how much I liked the characters in life. Like, they were characters that did the right thing. And I think that— Oh, you're right. They are awesome. And Eddie Brock is one of those characters where he, like, emphatically does the wrong thing, but you still kind of sympathize with him because we do the wrong thing sometimes. So, yeah, I think that there was a lot of interesting characterization across the board, but still Calvin and the Venom symbiote are both, like, really compelling characters. Yeah, totally. The difference is, right, like, Calvin doesn't ever communicate, at least with uh, words. I think he definitely communicates with actions. Venom, uh, yeah, you know, message is- loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you were inside that woman's spacesuit, I will think about that for the rest of my life. It was awful. For uh, the rest of my goddamn life, Calvin. <laughs> which will be short because you're yeah, going you're to here. kill the world. Yeah, I don't like it. But, you know, Venom's a little bit cheekier. I like the way they had the Venom story not have any Spider-Man in it. I thought it was nice. It stands alone, truly. The carryover is like, oh, why is he in a black... Spider-Man uniform. It's not a uniform. It's a symbiote. But still, why does he look like he's a Spider-Man, but just black instead of red? I don't know. I think it's so fun to see them at odds at the beginning of the film and and throughout actually the bulk of the film. It's like Venom's like, oh, me and my people are going to come kill you all. What does Calvin do? Ah, comes to Earth. Maybe kills everyone. We're going to consume you. You're delicious. (laughs) Yeah, and you have kind of a point. Like, I'm just like, yeah, Calvin, I mean, they kind of came at you. Like, kind of the same with the Venom symbiote where you're just like, well, I mean, maybe you shouldn't have been so embittered towards Peter Parker. (laughs) I thought it was really amazing that for the bulk of the film, you think of the symbiotes as, like, victims, which they are. They are being tortured, so absolutely. But then you find out they tricked Riz Ahmed's character, who I, I have no idea their name is, to come bring them back to Earth so they could start an invasion force. And then you're yeah. kind of like, well, now I feel bad for us because you're I don't see this going crafty. well. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the same thing with life. Like, it was mm-hmm. kind of the same deal where, once again, I mean, if there's any message that these movies share, it's totally, hey, humanity, maybe settle down. You're not yep. there yet, okay? Like, you're not there yet. You don't know how to deal with symbiotes. You don't know how to deal with Calvin. Like, you just don't. I wrote down the theme that I thought it was uh, fucking with space gets everyone fucked. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, hey, maybe don't put the military in outer space for no reason all of a sudden to poke things with sticks. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> it seems terrifying, not great. They totally bring them back to the planet. Invasive species, right? Like, they come in kind of as stowaways in a way. But these people lead them right to planet Earth every time. And I'm just like, yeah, it's totally going to be like some random ass people who like do this. And then we're all going to have to deal with it. So, yeah, a portent of things to come, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. I liked both movies a lot. I think that they're both really fun. The action scenes of Venom, to me, are some of the best. A lot of people were just like, I don't know about this movie. And I was just like, I do. I like it. (laughs) I agree with you. I thought the chase scenes are really done in a clever and fun way where it's like Eddie Brock on his motorcycle and then suddenly he's turning around a corner because Venom is moving himself to like hold the ground and swing him around i'm like oh that's fun and you you get such a 
organic introduction to Venom. Like, if you have not read any Venom comics, the Venom film stands alone, and I think it does really well. And I almost look at, like, life and Venom as, like, life's the tragi-horror, and... Venom's like the comedy version. <laughs> like, yeah, like the, the tragic horror. horror comedy, they like, definitely, like, there's definitely body horror stuff going on, you know, like the idea that there's something inside you that's consuming your organs. Uh, very scary. <laughs> Terrifying. I love the way that Michelle Williams' character, like, I love that she leaves Eddie in the film. I'm like, that's great. And then mm-hmm. that weird, super, like, sexy forest scene where she's with with Venom, but then, like, as a form of Venom with breasts, kisses Eddie, but then Venom moves through the kiss over to Eddie, and you're just like, what? This is so cute and weird and creepy and sexy and perfect. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing like that with Calvin. No, no. There's no sexy with Calvin. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the thing, too, right, Is, is that Venom is really strongly anthropomorphized, whereas with Calvin, it's like, this is the danger of anthropomorphizing things. Like, yes. don't Ooh. give it the cute name. Like, don't try to be like, oh, it's our little buddy. Like, that's not what you do. Whereas Venom is like, well, the symbiote really made that decision for me. So, <laughs> like, I kind of just have to, you know, I'm just along for the ride. And then, yeah, I mean, it's all about the acceptance of the symbiote, right? There's definitely really different angles on these stories, But there's a lot of similarities between them. Like, you aren't wrong. I hadn't really made that connection at all, really, between the two. But, yeah, I mean, they're both kind of misanthropic, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, both Calvin and the Venom symbiote are kind of just like, fuck humans. Am I right? Which, (laughs) I mean, as a human, many of us would agree. But, like, yeah, I think that... There's a lot of things about these two movies that overlap, but it's very interesting, too, where they don't, because Mm -hmm. that's where we see the definition of what these different alien races are about. And also the fact that, like, yeah, totally. Humans are like that, right? They're so ridiculous. They'll look at a planet and be like, look, I am looking at it with a telescope and I don't see any life. And it's just like, (laughs) okay, cool. But, like, bacteria... (laughs) Like, maybe, like, things you can't see that our eyes can't see. There's all kinds of possibilities for what kind of alien life might be out there. And so, like, thank God there's people who are doing stories that aren't just, like, yeah, I mean, this alien is a person but blue. And, you know, or whatever goofy thing. Like, that's mostly what we see. So having people even just try to envision a world outside of those kind of binary norms, I guess, Mm -hmm. is very interesting because it's like, well, I don't really remember if they ever established Calvin. Like, didn't they have a conversation where they were like, I have no idea what gender Calvin is. Yeah, they do. But they just call him the gender because the name, yeah. And they don't know if Calvin self-reproduces. It was, I think, addressed briefly, but isn't answered within the film. And we know more about the the Venom symbiote, obviously, because, like, there's been so many comic books about it and everything. Like, we've delved into that a little bit. But it's just nice. It's nice to see people think about things maybe not just being humanoid all of the time mm. and, like, maybe not just being the same as, like, what we would see on, like, a 60s episode of Star Trek or whatever. <laughs> Ah, they developed a 20s gangster culture, just like (laughs) us. Ah. How strange. It was wild that they got to that. (laughs) Oh, man. 
you know, the interview we did with Paige and something that to me will always be part of how I think of Venom is there's this queerness to Venom. And, it, you know, it's kind of gender queer. It's kind of a sexuality queerness. But, I, you know, there's you can't pin it because it's not one to one. But, you know, there are these moments in the comics where Eddie brings Venom chocolates and and Eddie is like, oh, I just need to take it on dates. I think that Eddie calls uh, Venom it sometimes. And then they're we when we're there together. So you get a little bit more of that. It's cool, right? So Eddie's he, Venom is it, and sometimes he, and then they're we. And I don't know, that whole body stuff is really cool. But let's say for the film, if we carry over from the comics, the queerness, like part of what the story of Venom is accepting one's queerness and not letting it destroy you because you don't embrace it or don't give it what it needs, right? Like Venom needs to eat a lot. So like, don't make Venom wait until Venom's so hungry uh, Venom eats someone's head, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> feed Venom more, take care of your queerness, take care of yourself. Like, I like that. Maybe there's like a queer allegory in life about like destroying <laughs> just, systems of power, but I, I don't know. I have a hard time reaching for that one. <laughs> I'm just like the queerest subtext of the movie life is how I shipped Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds oh, characters so together. <laughs> um, I do ship that. It's pretty shippable, quite frankly. But yeah, other than that, not really. I mean, it's all about just how humans will be the cause of our own destruction. Well, okay. So it's a little queer in like the idea of um, the way we came up with the category of what's foreign or what's nature versus human is like all anti-queer. So like there's a little something there. And the assigning of gender to something that is like genderless, you yes, know, is yes. very uh, humans fucking up vibes on that one. Mm, mm. But okay. overall, <laughs> it's a pretty far reach across the aisle. <laughs> Venom makes it a little clearer, <laughs> easier. Yeah, that's like significantly more explicit. So yeah, if you want to hear about us talk about that, totally listen to the Paige Allen episode. But just in general, I mean, that's a thing that I would like to talk about a little bit more overall is like the fact that Venom kind of is a queer character in a way. There's totally subtext there. And I'm sure queer writers would bring so, so much interesting stuff out of that story that we really haven't seen that much. So all of the mm. things that I want to have emphasized in a Venom story, I think would be <laughs> done very well under a queer writer. Pretty Ooh, much. I want Danny Lore to write a fucking Venom story. Oh my God. Can yeah, you that imagine? Would be sweet. Oh, it'd be so sweet. Yeah. Hey, Dropkick, thanks for a great question. It was fun to revisit Venom in life. When you posed it, I was like, what am I going to have to say? And here we are 20 minutes later. I had plenty to say. <laughs> Yeah, and I like that question, too, because it just kind of made me draw some parallels that I didn't before, so. One of the things that I love, and and I just want to say this to all of our listeners, I love when you all ask follow-up questions or connect with something that we did early in the pod. And, you know, it just makes it feel like we're in one long conversation. And I hope you feel welcome to ask questions and make contributions and be in touch with us because that's what we want to do. We want to build a stronger and stronger community where we all nerd out together. We want to build a stronger community in which a symbiote might (laughs) feel comfortable (laughs) taking possession of my body and that maybe we could have the greatest love story of our time. I want that for you, Sarah. Thanks. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Listeners, 
Thanks for joining us today. We're always so honored to be in your ear telling you how good you are, telling you how much we love comics. And you know what you can do to help us out? You can rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. There's all kinds of different ones where you can rate and review. There's some where you can't, but hey, we still love you. But if you are on iTunes listening to us right now, give us five stars. Write a little something. You can just be like, these bitches sound tasty. That'd be weird, but I wouldn't be mad about it, especially if it came with five stars. So we love you. Give us five stars. Rate and review us. Tell us how much you love us. Tell your friends. We love you. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The comic of the week is Livewire, Volume 1, Fugitive, collecting Issues number one through four. Written by Vida Ayala. Art by Raul Ayen and Patricia Martin. Letters by Saida Temofonte. Holy crap, live wire. <laughs> what the heck? What? Uh, you know, this really makes me think of when people talk shit about superhero comics. I'm like, where have you read Livewire? <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's the immediate impulse I feel. Livewire is such a cool character because I think she is in a way, at least in Vita's work here, she is a a way of talking about how superpowers can lend themselves towards abuse, but also how, you know, the way that governments want to control bodies is a real problem. And But you get to see it take place on the page. And that to me is just like, Mwah, chef's kiss, fucking beautiful. Oh my God, I just love it. Had you read this before? No, I read this literally like earlier today. 
I've always really loved Vita's writing. And so kind of finding something that I hadn't read was a nice little surprise. So thank you (laughs) for choosing this one. Yes, it was a nice surprise for me, too, because I do think of myself as like, there are not many people I've read everything for. I'm I'm not a Sarah Century, uh, <laughs> but I do like to think that I have read most of Vita's work. And this one was one I hadn't seen either. And I read it and I was just like, oh, it feels like it feels like getting a hug. Like it feels <laughs> like this is what I want comics to be. And it's just so exciting. Yeah, I loved this. I don't really delve too much into the Valiant universe, which is kind of a mistake, I think, on my part, because I see and hear a ton of good things from them. And everybody references them and a bunch of great creators have written for them and, you know, done art for them. And yeah, it makes me think that after reading this, I was like, I should probably read other Valiant titles sometime soon (laughs) because... Yeah, I mean, the fact that this is even a comic, it kind of blew my mind a little bit because of, you know, multiple aspects of the story. The way that she sees herself and then the way that the world sees her and the difference between those two things and trying to merge those versions of herself, I think, should be relatable to a lot of people, especially Mm. if you've lived in public life whatsoever, you know. Even just having like a few thousand followers on Twitter, as I do, is a lot sometimes, right? That's so many people. We don't really think about it that much, but that is so many people. And so the way that she kind of has to examine the way that people have manipulated her image and the way that she has these good intentions, but she has made mistakes, you know, like the way that she goes all the way to the bat for things has caused problems for people that she really cared about. And I think that her having to balance all of these things, right, and acknowledge all of them as being true was a really good part of the story and something that I haven't seen too much in comics. Yeah, I think what's really, really great in this story is that she's allowed to be a powerful, badass Black woman, and she's allowed to struggle. She's yeah, allowed to be she vulnerable. Does struggle she's a lot. Like, she makes mistakes, like you were saying. Yeah, she she goes through so much. I'm flipping through the pages as we talk, and it's just like giving me chills because it's so unlike what I see with many superheroes. I think there are tons of great superhero comics, to be fair. But I really love this one, and I, I particularly love the antagonist in this run, Pan. I just love how Pan can really push on Livewire, a.k.a. Amanda's vulnerabilities and and sensitivities and how they know her better than anyone, right? Because they grew up fighting with her Mm -hmm. alongside her, training under a megalomaniac. And something that I frequently see Vida Ayala bringing to the page that is so exciting to me is that antagonists are full people. They have interior lives they have motivations other than i just don't like this person <laughs> you know yeah. their their motivations are flawed sure but they're real and i kind of root for pan just like a little i know that they're the bad person right, like, right i don't right. want to make them they're not my hero at any point during this but there are points where i'm like mm, those are some Good really point. fair motivations yeah <laughs> yeah yeah So basically the story is that Amanda is a psyot. I think that's the right word in this this universe. So she has power over electric kinetic energies and she's a telepath of sorts or telekinetic of sorts. All of those things, I don't remember. And she 
wanted to protect all the Sayats. The government was actually planning to kill them all. So she made this plan, like, I'm going to save them. And in the process, she turned out the power on the entire planet, I believe. So in that time, a bunch of people died, right? People who were on uh, life support. Life support and stuff, yeah. Airports. (laughs) like Yes, yes. Oh, my God, right? And so she did it to save the Sayots, and she did save some of them, but she also hurt a lot of people. So now things have gotten worse, right? Like Sayots are even more hunted now. And so she's trying to get her group of Sayots back together to be like, I'm going to protect you. Let's run. I got a place where I can keep you. And they're like, we don't want to be with you, Amanda. And she's like, but why? And they're like, you killed people. And she's like, I didn't mean to. And that sets into motion, like, the events of the book. She gets caught by the government. She gets imprisoned. Treated very badly, yeah, in prison. Yeah, oh, my God, it's awful. She's basically tortured. And she uses the antagonism of one of the guards against him. She, like, basically baits him into a fight and gets out of jail. Super incredible. Then she runs into Pan, who she I think she might have run into right before she went into jail. And then now she's got to fight Pan. And it just feels like instead of... Growing in scale, which I think so many superhero stories do over a couple of issues, over an arc. You know, it's like, oh, now it's the whole planet is threatened. It feels like this just gets more and more personal. Yeah, I think also it kind of just has the same amount of dramatic tension throughout the entire thing. There's not really any lulls in this story. And it packs just this kind of epic punch because there's no moments where I was kind of spacing out or anything. Like I was just 100% in the story because the way that the energy stays with it through every single story beat. Because I thought that that dude in the prison was going to be the big bad of the story. And I think in a lot of stories, they would have just stopped with him. Mm-hmm. And that's not how this one goes at all. <laughs> like, you know, she's in that situation, which is terrible. You think it's going to be like the situation. And then she walks out, you know, <laughs> and then like, it's like she walks in. strolls out. <laughs> walks into this other horrible situation, you know. In that first fight, there's no question that she's the moral superior, right? Mm -hmm. That guy's a piece of garbage. And even if he has some valid points, the way that he treats her is just so gross that we're just like, that guy sucks. But then whenever the second person starts talking about all of the things that she's done. Well, Pan shows her her future, right? Yeah. And she sees herself as like a despot, like breaking people and breaking machines and and just ruling over the planet. And 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 that's such a different kind of battle, right? Because it actually is a battle against herself. Pan is showing her. Right. She's afraid of herself much more so than Pan. Yeah. There's a point in the I think it's the final issue of this run where he has her like on a table and he's, you know basically killing her through some kind of mental manipulation that I'll be honest, I didn't track, but it is scary. And she says, she she narrates, this is what I deserve. It's so sad, but it mm-hmm. it really recenters the whole thing on her real, her hardest battle is with herself. And that is like, to me, mm, that's beautiful, you know? <laughs> it is. I loved this comic. I thought it was really good. And I loved the pacing of it. I think that obviously a lot of the dialogue is just fascinating. We learn so much about this character just from these four issues. And I think that that is rare <laughs> for us to learn oh, yeah. that much insight into a character in this little amount of a time. 
Also, it's such a definitive story for the character, right? It reminds me of Peter Cannon, right? Like, that's kind of the same totally. vibe that I get, where it's just somebody who's really having to reconcile with a lot of terrible things from their past and go forward into something new. And I say that, obviously, with, like, the utmost respect to Peter Cannon. I thought that that was, like, a great series, the Gillen oh, series specifically, it, yeah. as we've noted. <laughs> but um, another thing I can't get out of this review before I mention that the art is incredible. I was just going to say, the art is Bananarama. <laughs> The colors, right? That pink and purple color palette and Mm -hmm. pink, purple, brown color palette Mm -hmm. and some yellows, some grays. And it kind of goes from like an almost jewel tones. And then when it's in the past tense, it's like a light sepia. Mm -hmm. It's not a true sepia, but everything's a little bit yellow. So it's still kind of the same palette. Oh, it's so well done. I mean, the letters are like gorgeous. Sometimes I feel like the hardest thing about letters is when they look the best, they kind of disappear. So I'm always like, I want to talk about the good work of the letterer as well. Yeah. It's a half page spread where Amanda is, you know, reaching out towards the person she's fighting and you can see the electrokinetic sort of energy coming in waves behind her and her eyes have gone into these like little almost stars instead of like where a pupil would be. And it's just like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And like the, the particular way the background is sketched makes it so evocative. The art is stunning. The whole time we've been talking about this, I've been like, and the art, the art, the art, because it is, again, oh my God, what are you doing? How is this so beautiful? You can see her as very human. And then there's scenes where you're like, oh, this is like a demigod kind of. Yes. Like the way that she kind of can go between those two states, right? And also the coolness of how the powers work because whenever all of those electronic devices are flying behind her and all of that stuff, it's just so cool looking. Like every part of this comic just looked beautiful. Yeah, it's a really well done. Like I think it can be hard sometimes to make powers visual that are something like electrokinetic and they did just such an exceptional work in here because so often it looks like the other times we've seen it right there's not a lot of ways for people to make it stand out this does a hundred percent this looks totally different than that power set that i've seen in other comics totally incredible this is livewire from valiant first volumes called fugitive Vida Ayala, Raul Ayen, Patricia Martin, and Saida Timofante. Beautiful, beautiful work. Thank you, you incredible artists, for giving us such a powerful comic. I just love it. I'm like a team livewire forever. Yeah, I think that there's more collections, so I'm going to try to check them out. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B.T.C.H.E.S.O.N.C.O.M.I.C.S. at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. 
I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.